Revelation chapter 8 and 9. If you remember, we've been going through, uh, Revelation is divided into three different chapters. We know from chapter uh, 1 verse 19 that it's divided into three parts, and I repeat this every single week, so that those who come and are picking up uh, wherever they are, they know that we're in the third part, which begins in chapter 4 verse 1. And it says in chapter 4, verse 1, And after this I looked, and before me was a door standing in heaven. And the voice I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here And after this. And so basically the, the, the division of Revelation is in three different parts. What you've seen, which is chapter 1, a, a, a revelation of Jesus Christ. And then in chapters 2 and 3, what is now? What is now the age of the church? And then what will happen after these things? Metatauta in the Greek. That word after this. And that's what happens right there in chapter 4, verse 1. We see it says, and after this, metatauta. You don't see the metatauta, but that's what it says. Chapter, I saw it. Chapter 4, verse 1. And after this, I looked. And so it's a, it's a key for us to recognize that now the things are going to happen after these things after the age of the church, I believe, and I believe that at this point the church is raptured. Again, a lot of good good people disagree on this. This is my take, and uh, so study the study the scriptures, go before the Lord, and uh, and and uh, sh- show yourself approved, the workman not uh, ashamed of you know what he knows there. So you know the verse. I'm sorry, I, I, it's hard for me to switch from doing something like that over to this. So give me a second. <laughs> so really quickly, the seven-sealed scroll, that's where we've been. If we remember chapter 4, a vision of heaven, and then all of a sudden there's this scroll that's presented, and no one can open it. No one is worthy to open the scroll, except for one, Jesus Christ. And Jesus alone begins to open this scroll. And as we read the seals, the different seals, we see there, it's hard to see if someone could... I actually can't even get that light off there, so it's a little bit more clear. But anyways, the first seal was the white seal, and it was one of conquering, and we believe this is the Antichrist. And then the the second was wars, and then famine, and then death, and then the martyrs, and then cosmic changes, the earthquakes, and all these great things. And then all of a sudden, we get to uh, chapter 7, and there is a pause. 144,000, it just goes to these 144,000, we're talking about the sealed. And if you remember at the end of chapter 6, and the seals, when the the sixth seal is being revealed, it says, uh, Then the kings of the earth, the princes and the generals, the rich, the mighty, and every... uh, the generals, the rich, the mighty, and every slave and free man hid in caves among the rocks and the mountains, and they called to the mountains and the rocks, Fall on us! And hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne from the wrath of the Lamb. For great, for, uh, for the great day of the wrath has come. And who can stand? And if we can go to the next slide. Who can stand the day of the Lord? And the double click. I know, it's kind of hard there. But anyways, it talks about who can stand this. And it's the 144,000. 144,000 we see are sealed. And after this, in chapter 7, verse 1, it says, After this I saw four angels standing in the four corners of the earth, holding uh, back the four winds from the earth. And God basically sends, uh, these, he says, Hold off on that. Hold off on that seven seal. Hold off on these bad things that are about to happen because we've got to seal these people first. And we see, we see in chapter 7 the, the sealing of the 144,000 from the 12 tribes of Israel. And I believe these are from the 12 tribes of Israel God wouldn't, because God wouldn't go into such great detail if it wasn't from the tribes of Israel. Then I heard the number of those who were sealed, 144,000 from all the tribes of Israel. This is not the church, this is Israel. From the tribe of Israel, and it goes into each of the tribes. From Reuben, 12,000, obviously, we don't know who's from what tribe right now, but God does. He knows how all that works, and it's funny, the Temple, uh, the temple Mount Faithful, this group that's, that's together, that wants to put together the third temple, they put all these things, they've already identified some of the Levites and things like that, but there's, there's a, you know, God will mess, He will figure out this big giant mess, and, and the angels will come and they will put the seal upon this 144,000, and for, it's from these 144,000 they're going to begin to preach. And 
there will be several saints who are saved from out of the tribulation. In chapter 7, verse 9 through 17, we believe that these people will lose their lives. They will be martyred. And they're crying out from under the throne. Remember that in the, in the fifth seal. And so we have this situation where this pause is happening. And if you could go to the next one uh, really quickly. Uh, just to give you a little overall structure of what's happening in Revelation, we see that we have the seven sealed scroll. Now, right now, we've, we've, we're, we're going to start the seventh seal today. But we've gone through one, two, three, four, five, six, and then we went, to, there's this little pause, which is the 144,000. And then we're going to go to the seventh seal. Now, the seventh seal is interesting, is it breaks into trumpets. As we read right here in in our text today, chapter 8, verse 1, it says, When he opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about a half an hour. And I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and seven trumpets were given to them. And so once you get to the seventh trumpet, it breaks down into, uh, I'm sorry, into the seventh seal, breaks down into seven trumpets. Now, the same structure happens when we get to the trumpets. You get to the sixth trumpet, right after the sixth trumpet, there's a pause. And that will happen from chapters 10 through 14. He kind of backs away and gives you an overall explanation of things and goes through stuff. And then it finishes with the seventh trumpet. And then the seventh trumpet, guess what it breaks down into? Seven drum sets. No, I'm just kidding. Seven, seven bowls right there. So seven bowls. And then the seven bowls, when you get to the sixth bowl, right after that, there's a pause again. And it talks about something else. We'll get to that when we get there. And then it goes to the seventh, uh, to the seventh bowl, and then that opens up. Uh, the, basically, we're heading towards the end there. We talk about Babylon the Great, and we talk about the Lord coming on the horse in chapter 19. And basically, the end has come, right? And so this is kind of what we're going through, the structure. Now, as we go through this, there's different thoughts. In Western thought... We think that, okay, it's all linear. So we go seal one, two, three, four, chronologically, in other words. We're trying to think, how does this fit into time? And so as we're reading through this, we think, okay, we're going through these seals. These things are happening. There's a pause. There's 144,000. Then there's the seventh seal. Then it breaks over into the seven trumpets. And now you're continuing in time. Some people believe that, that it's sequential. And they believe it's like Jesus was talking about, like birth pains. It gets worse and worse and worse and worse. Good, good scholars believe that. Good scholars also believe that what is happening is you get through the seven seals and you go to the trumpets, and it's just reiterating uh, in, with a little bit more detail what's, what just happened on, on the seven seals. It's, the seven trumpets are a little bit more ex, of an explanation of just what happened through the seven seals, and then you get to the seven bowls. Well, that gives you a little bit more insight to what just happened. So all those are kind of parallel. Does that make sense a little bit? And that's more of a Jewish type of thought. Now, what they are, I don't know. I haven't made up my mind yet. Have you? No. Okay. So we're, we're, we're all learning together, right? And so uh, I don't know exactly where it fits out in timelines. And there's pros and cons of each. But what we need to know is this is from eternity's perspective. And from eternity's perspective... Time is a little bit different than what we would see. This is being taught out through, through heaven. We're in heaven when these things are revealed. John is in heaven seeing these things. And so time is a little bit different. What's a half hour? I don't know. I don't know. And so we take this uh, with a little bit of a, you know, humility in our hearts. Don't be dogmatic about it. Where it's, where it's literal, we take it literally. Where we don't know, we just say we don't know. Amen? We don't have to know everything. And there's going to be good brothers and sisters who, who will disagree with us, and we go, okay, you know, we love you, you know? One, one thing we're looking forward to is all being together with Jesus, amen? amen? Looking forward to that. And so this is our a stab at it. And so chapter uh, 8, verse 1, it says, When he opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about a half hour. That would be exactly 30 minutes. And I saw seven angels who stand before God, and seven trumpets were given to them. And just for a little bit of a side note, you know, when you see things like silence in heaven for, for a half hour, you know, you go back to other parts in Scripture, like, like in Joshua, 
when they marched around for six days and then all of a sudden there was silence on the seventh time and all that stuff. It's amazing how Joshua is actually parallels Revelation. And that's just a different little study there, but it's very, very interesting. So, um, but when he opened that seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about a half hour. And I saw seven angels who stand before God and seven trumpets were given to them. So the seventh seal busts into these seven trumpets. Some believe that these that the seven spirits before the throne in Revelation chapter 1 are these angels. They might be. I believe that those seven spirits in chapter 1 were actually the seven spirits of the sevenfold manifestation of the, spirit as, uh, of the Holy Spirit as you read about in Isaiah chapter 11. Nevertheless, there are seven prominent angels who are standing before God and seven trumpets are given to them. And so this is the seventh seal, the giving of the seven trumpets. Now, another angel who had a golden censer this is verse 3. Came and stood at the altar. Now that word another in the Greek, there's two different words. There's alos, which means another of the same kind, and heteros, which means different. This is alos. It means another of the same kind. Some people believe that this, is, uh, this, might, this angel might be Christ because it has the, the bowls and all that type of st- stuff there. But others think because it says alos, because it's another of the same kind, they're talking about angels. And so uh, for those of you who want to get into that much detail, there you go. Another angel who had a golden censer came and stood at the altar. He was given much incense to offer with prayers of all God's people on the golden altar in front of the throne. Now, if we remember the tabernacle, guys, there's a picture of the tabernacle. Remember, Hebrews tells us that it's a picture of heaven, that the actual physical tabernacle was a shadow of the reality of heaven. So if something's a shadow, it's not the real thing. It's very interesting. So as you're looking at the tabernacle, there would be a place called the holy, it's called the holy place. Well, let's, let's back up. You go through the gate, and then there's a brazen altar on the outside there. There's an altar where you could walk in, and that's where they had the sacrifices, and the priest would sacrifice the animals and all this type of stuff. Because you could not enter the holy place without sacrifice. You go on the doors of the holy place, which is divided into two sections, the holy place and the holy of holies, where the Ark of the Covenant was in the very presence of God. So you'd walk into this, this tabernacle. No, you wouldn't. The priest would. They'd walk in. And on the left would be the menorah, the seven candles sitting there on the left. And then on the right would be the table of showbread. And then there would be a veil right in front of you, a very thick veil. But right in front of that veil would be a a smaller altar, a golden altar. It's the altar of incense. And the priests would tend to it three times a day. And they would offer incense, specific incense that were only for that. And incense are always kind of an idiom uh, for the prayers of the people. And it kind of, when when they would light these incense, it was because the prayers are constantly going up before the Lord. Now, the thought I have is, hey, what about the veil? That kind of blocks all that, right? If the Lord's behind it, exactly. That's very, very, very true. And so, as we mentioned before, the high priest was the only one who could enter the Holy of Holies, that place behind the veil where the Ark of the Covenant was, which was representative of the, of the throne of God. And he could only enter into that place once a year and not without going through like 17 showers and washing rituals and all this type of stuff and put on the right stuff. And, and he couldn't enter in there without blood. And as I told you before, they tie a thing around his leg just in case he didn't make it, he got smoked, they'd be able to pull him out. It was a very serious situation. But we know that Jesus Christ is our high priest. And when he died, that veil that separated God from man was torn. And that veil was his flesh. It was torn. He was torn so that we could have access to God. Access once and for all. Not, they always had to have a different high priest because they would die. And they had sinned themselves, but Jesus was sinless. So once and for all, the situation was taken care of. His body was torn, whose blood cleansed us from all of our sin. It wasn't atoning for our sin, it 
cleaned us. It made us pure. It has made us pure. And now we can jump into our Father's lap. We can bust into that throne room and jump on His lap and say, Abba, Father, come boldly before the throne in time of need. Any of you have needs this morning? You can run right into your Father's presence. There's nothing separating us from Him. The veil is torn. We have fellowship with our King through Jesus Christ. Amen? And that's where we stand. It's just beautiful. He purchased from death and sin. He snatched us us out of the hands of the devil in hell. Amen? And now we read of this angel who had the golden censer, and he came and he stood at the altar, and he was given much incense, verse 3, to offer with the prayers of all of God's people on the golden altar in front of the throne. And again, the smoke of the incense is now right in the presence of the Lord. Your prayers, our prayers are right before the Lord, and it comes up before him day and night. And it says, and the, and it says it's a pleasing, a, su- a great incense. He loves it. He loves the smell. It's a, a soothing flavor to the Lord. He loves it. He loves your prayers. And we see that some of these people, like in the fifth seal, how long, O oh Lord? We'll talk about that in just a second. Why haven't you answered my prayer, Lord? Time isn't yet. He hears you when you call. He knows your prayers. But he, in his, in his time, his perfect timing, sometimes chooses to say, hold on. Even though it hurts, he has a greater plan and a greater good for all of us. And one day we'll see it. Trust him this morning. Trust him. So the prayers of the saints rising up on his throne, then uh, to the throne. Chapter, and then verse 5. Then the angel took the censer and filled it with fire from the altar, and he hurled it to the earth. And there came peals of thunder, rumblings, and flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. Many believe that the Lord is answering the cry of those who'd been martyred for the word of God and their testimony. He cried out. Remember the fifth seal? I just talked about it. How long, O Lord? And he's going, all right, now. So that could possibly be it. So when he opened the fifth seal, and this is going back to the fifth seal, when he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and the testimony they had maintained. They called out in a loud voice, How long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood? I mean, this world is getting bad. How many of you are going, man, how long? How long, God, are you going to put up with this? Oh, we want mercy, but there's, there's also this part of us that goes, man, this is bad. There's some really bad things going on. There's children getting seriously hurt. There's trafficking going on. There's families being devastated left and right. How long, Lord, are you going to let this Satan rule this world? Then each of them was given a white robe, and they were told, wait a little longer until the full number of their fellow servants, their brothers and sisters, were killed as they had been. So perhaps this is an answer to that prayer. The angel took the censer and filled it with fire from the altar and hurled it to the earth. There came peals of thunder, rumbling, and flashes of lightning and earthquake. Verse 6, Then the seven angels who had seven trumpets prepared to sound them. The first angel sounded his trumpet. And there came hail and fire mixed with blood, and it hurled down to the earth. And a third of the heaven was burned up. I'm sorry, a third of the earth was burned up, and a third of the trees were burned up, and all the green grass was burned up. This is a vegetation disaster. Vegetation devastation, right? A third of the vegetation is gone. So hail, fire, and blood. I don't even know what that all means, but it's bad. Probably real hail, fire, and the smoke makes it look like blood. I don't know. Verse 8, The second angel sounded his trumpet, and something like a huge mountain all ablaze was thrown into the sea. And a third of the sea turned into blood. A third of the living creatures in the sea died, and a third of all the ships were destroyed. Something like a huge mountain, maybe an asteroid. I don't know. But this burning mountain was thrown into the sea. And a third of the ocean turned to blood. 70% of the Earth's surface, or probably a little bit more, 75 to say, but is 
is water. And about 96% of that 70% is, is the ocean. A third of that, gone. You know, unusable. One third turning to blood. One third of the living creatures in the ocean died. You know, from microbiology all the way up to, you know, save the whales. It's all not going very well. One third of the ships were destroyed. There's a lot of ships on the ocean. I just uh, pulled this little graphic up of, of the ships actually on the ocean as of yesterday or something like that. And uh, one second here. That's probably not going to be very clear, but there's like, I don't know, some people estimate 25,000 at one time. So a third of those, that's a lot. Those are little dots that you can't see. The red parts are obviously much more populated than the others, but each one of those is a little ship out there. A third, just gone. Imagine how many people are lost and how much, how that would devastate, you know, getting your Chinese goods, you know? I'm just saying, it's gone. <laughs> it's gone. One third. The ocean, imagine our fishing and the things we get from it. It's just going to upset the ecosystem like crazy. A third of the ocean's devastated. Well, so what? We're in Walla Walla, you know? No ocean here. Well, that's where we get verse 10. The third angel sounded his trumpet, and a great star, blazing like a torch, fell from the sky on a third of the rivers and of the springs of water. The name of the star was Wormwood, and a third of the waters turned bitter. And many people died from the waters that had become bitter. The name of the star Wormwood, woodworm, uh, uh, woodworm is, is very bitter substance. That's what it means. Uh, proverbial for bitterness and sadness, if you wanted to kind of get esoteric with it. But the word in the Greek, Wormwood, is absinthe, which means undrinkable without harm. And so some believe the falling star represents Satan. Because the word star and the word angel are used to represent one another often in Scripture. We know that Satan, he fell from heaven. In Isaiah chapter 14, verse 12, it talks about it. In Luke 10, 18, Jesus speaks about it. He says, whoever listens to you, listens to me. Whoever rejects you, rejects me. But whoever rejects him, uh, sorry, but whoever rejects me, rejects him who sent me. And the 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. And he replied, I saw f Satan falling like lightning from heaven. And I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy and nothing will harm you. However, do not rejoice that spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. So Jesus said, I saw this sucker fall from heaven. Revelation 8 verse 10, as we just read right now about uh, this, I saw the star falling from heaven. So we know that Satan has already been cast out of heaven, right? He's fallen out of heaven. And, and when that is, we don't know. Some people put it sometime between Genesis 1 and Genesis 3 because we know Genesis 3, that serpent's in the garden, right? So they, all, they always get back and forth about that. And if you want to read more about Satan, you can do that in Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 28. You know, or you can come to one of the men's studies. We'll be talking about him probably one of the last weeks there. And so we know that Satan has fallen from heaven. But guess what? We also know that he still has access. He still has access. That's very interesting. We read in Job chapter 1, verse 6 and 7. One day the angels came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with them. And the Lord said to Satan... Where have you come from? Now, does God know where people are coming from? When every time God asks a question in Scripture, it's rhetorical, okay? He knows the answer. Where are you? Oh, I didn't know that. Now, where have you come from? And Satan answered the Lord from roaming through the earth, going back and forth on it. And so although Satan does no longer, is no longer an angel in heaven, as we, we check out, he used to be one of those angels that was in the very presence of God, a very powerful angel. He does not, he's always not there and he's fallen and took a third of the angels with him. We see that he still has access. And actually, night and day, he's the accuser of the brethren. Doesn't stop accusing you before God. 
But we know also that he's going to lose access to heaven. As we read uh, Revelation chapter 12, verse 7 through 12, as we will get there, but I'll read it right now. Revelation 12, 7 through 12, it says, Then war broke out in heaven, and Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was not strong enough, and they lost their place in heaven. The great dragon was hurled down, the ancient serpent called the devil or Satan who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to earth and his angels with him. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of the Messiah. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters who has accused them before our God night and day, talk about access, has been hurled down. And they triumphed over him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Therefore, rejoice, you heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to the earth. Now listen to this. Woe to the earth and the sea, because the devil has gone down to you, and he is filled with fury, because he knows his time is short. And so the star wormwood could be Satan. I just say could be. Many believe because of these verses that it could be Satan. So this could be literal or figurative. Because this is also described as a great star, like a torch falling in the sky. John, some people think like, okay, what could that be? If John was looking back in the Old Testament and he's looking at these things that are possibly future weapon systems or something. You know, there's, there's tons of different thoughts. It could be a nuclear missile, like a torch falling from the sky. You know, so there's different thoughts out there as, as to what this would be. I would figure that one about Satan would be much more biblical to me. And, uh, but again, I find it also interesting that Chernobyl is U- Ukrainian for bitter root. It's very funny. You know, one of the things I was watching on, on Chernobyl, uh, uh, Chernobyl uh, a while back was that that meltdown was so bad. And one of the things they, they did is they got miners and they had to dig underneath the reactor because they were concerned that the, uh, the meltdown would get down into the aquifer. And that, would, and that aquifer, that water, underground deep water system, uh, basically supplied the whole nation with water. And so they're very concerned about that, like, got to stop this. So they dug underneath it, and they were going to do cooling things, but they eventually, they eventually put cement in there. So whatever the situation is here, the water is going to turn bitter. Whatever wormwood does, the water is going to be undrinkable, and a third of humanity is going to die from it. That's horrible. A third of the water turned bitter, and many people will die from drinking that water. And the fourth angel sounded his trumpet. Verse 12. And the sun was stricken, a third of the moon, and a third of the stars, and so that third of them was turned dark. A third of the day was without light, and also a third of the night. Now, did something happen to the sun? Did the sun, like, you know, lose a third? Did, you know, someone eat a third of the moon? I don't know. But as I mentioned, trumpets in Scripture are always used as an alarm. Trumpets are always in a sounding, an alarm. Hey, that's going to get worse. The trumpet judgments that we're going through right now are known as the, the judgments of thirds because a third of this goes, and a third of this goes. Remember before in the seals it was a quarter? Now it's a third? Well, when we get to the bowls, it's going to be the whole enchilada. Okay, it's going to get bad. And so the trumpets are warning to say, hey, you haven't seen anything yet. And that, and that goes back to why people think that these things are parallel or whether they're repetitive and all these types of things. Nevertheless, a third of the sun, of the moon, the stars, they fail to shine. Verse 13, as I watched, I heard an eagle that was flying in midair call out in a loud voice, Whoa, 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 to the inhabitants of the earth. Because of the trumpet blast about to be sounded by the other three angels, you thought the first three were bad. This is going to be bad. Now, what is the eagle? I do not know. But the eagle is saying, Whoa, 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 get ready. You thought the first four were bad. These last three are going to get even more intense. And so they're known as the three woes. The fifth angel sounded his trumpet, the first of the three woes, right? And I saw a star that had fallen from heaven, uh, from the sky to the earth. The star, or in other translations, or to him, was given the key to the shaft of the abyss. Notice that the star 
is not a star, like a physical star. It's actually an entity, a being of some sort, because it was given the key to the shaft. John says, and I saw, saw a star that had fallen. And so that's why many people believe the previous verse is about Satan. That's kind of how they get that. Can't prove it, but I believe it strongly points to him. If so, then it's important to know that Satan is not in charge of hell. And also you can pull that from other places. He isn't there like he didn't make hell, design hell. He isn't there with a pitchfork going, ha, ha, ha. It was created for him and his demons and his fallen angels to go. Sadly, those who are his children. He isn't God's equal evil. He doesn't have the same power as God, but on the other side. No, he is given authority. He's a created being. God will destroy him with the word of his mouth. And the only reason why he's given authority here is because it accomplishes his purpose. Now that's hard about God. God can use evil to accomplish his purposes. Not that God is evil, but we see that in the nation of Israel. When they turned against God, he let their enemies come and take them over. You know, when we wonder why things are going you know, crazy, why are bad things happening? Sometimes it's, you know, hey, repent. Turn your heart back to the Lord. So notice the star is not a star. He was given the key of the shaft of the, of the abyss. And from these verses in Revelation 12, I read you a few minutes ago and others, I believe it's referring to Satan. And if so, we've got some serious things that he's going to do here because he knows his time is short and he's really angry. And when he opened the abyss, smoke rose from it like smoke from a gigantic furnace. Oh, what do you know? We're in a different chapter. And the sun and the sky were darkened by the smoke from the abyss. And so perhaps a reason that a third of everything was taken out was because he opened the abyss. Just read the next verse. And out of the smoke, locusts came down to earth and were given power like that of a scorpion of the earth. And so these things are described as locusts. They had the power like that of scorpions on the earth. So are these literal scorpions? Let's continue to read verse 4, chapter 9. They were told not to harm the grass of the earth or any plant or trees, but only those people who did not have the seal of God on their forehead. Who are those who had the seal of the God on their forehead? 144,000. No touching them. They were not allowed to kill them, not the 144,000, but yeah, it's a, they were not allowed to kill the 144,000. Uh, the people with the seal, but only to torture them for five months, meaning the, the people, I believe, on the earth. <clears throat> the only other reference to five-month period in Scripture is the flood of Noah. And so I don't know what, this, what the connection is there. Yeah, it was 40 days, 40 nights of rain, but there was basically five months where nothing happened. Or I don't know what it was, but uh, that's something to think about. And the agony they suffered was like that of a sting of a scorpion when it strikes. Verse 6, During those days, people will seek death, but will not find it. They will long to die, but death will elude them. I don't know if this is metaphorically. I don't know if these guys are stinging them and they're unable to die for five months. Whatever it is, it's bad. The suffering is intense. People are going to want to die, but it seems as though they can't for a period of five months. You figure if you want to die, you can die, right? But somehow this is going to not be granted. That's just intense stuff. Now a little further description of the locusts. We're almost through. The locusts looked like, like horses prepared for battle. And on their heads, they wore something like crowns of gold. And on their faces, their faces resembled human faces. The hair was like women's hair, and their teeth were like lion's teeth. They had breastplates like breastplates of iron. And the sound of their wings was like the thundering of many horses and chariots rushing into battle. They had tails with stingers like scorpions. And in their tails, they had power to torment people for five months. So all of a sudden, we're starting to realize that these are not any ordinary scorpions. 
There's a lot of similes, metaphors there, right? They looked like horses prepared for battle. They weren't. They looked like them. They had something like crowns of gold. Their faces resembled human faces. The hair was like women's hair. He's trying to describe things from humanity because that's what he knows to describe something he does not know. What the heck are these things? They're like this, but they had stingers. They had these things, but they were like these other things. He's describing something that is is out of this world. In, in their tails, they had power to torment people for five months. So some people say that these are helicopters and such. I, I, I don't think so. Some say they are just locusts, you know. No, they're just locusts. Uh, it's very interesting. The Holy Spirit tucked away a little verse uh, in Proverbs 30, verse 27. He says, uh, well, I'm going to read a little bit of the context. It says, four things on earth are small, yet are extremely wise. And this is Solomon going crazy here. Ready? Ants are creatures of little strength, yet they store up their food in the summer. Hyraxes are creatures of little power, yet they make their home in crags. Locusts have no king, yet they advance together in their ranks. It's like, what in the, why, why do you put that there? Why do locusts have no king? Okay, Maybe it's a king looking at them go and say they're just kind of berserk. For those who think they're locusts, you know, we have a problem. First is that they were told not to harm the vegetation, and that's all that locusts do, right? <laughs> And secondly, verse 11, they had as a king over them the angels of the abyss, whose name in Hebrew is Abaddon, and in the Greek, Apollyon, that is the destroyer. Satan is their king. So they had a king. Locusts have no king. These are different locusts. He now is called the angel of the abyss because he was given access to it. So the first woe is believed to be released, the release of a demon horde upon the earth, a demon army. Able to strike fear in a man, cause him not to die for five months. Verse 12, the first woe is past. Two other woes are yet to come. The sixth angel sounded his trumpet. Six, right? What happens after the sixth trumpet? A pause, right? Okay, so we're going to pause after that. So don't worry about the seventh. It is said to the sixth angel, I'm sorry, uh, the sixth angel sounded his trumpet, and I heard a voice coming from the four horns of the golden altar that is before God. It is said to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, release the four angels who are bound at the great rivers, U- river Euphrates. And the four angels who had, who had been kept ready for this very hour and this day and this month and this year were released to kill a third of mankind. And so just a question, where are these angels right now? Bound in the river Euphrates. Don't even know where that, you know, where or what, but it says that that's where they are. And they're going to kill a third of mankind. And notice they're being kept ready for this very hour and day and month and year. God has the exact time that things are going to happen. This isn't God going, oh, better do this now. It's going exactly to his plan. He knows what's going on. They're going to kill a third of mankind. During the seals, remember, it was a quarter, and now it's a third. Now, how did they kill the third of mankind? Verse 16, the number of the mounted troops was twice 10,000 times 10,000. I heard their number, or 200 million is the number. The horses and riders I saw in my vision looked like this. Their breastplates were fiery red, dark blue, and yellow as sulfur. So that's what they look like. The heads of the horses resembled the heads of lions. And out of their mouths came fire, smoke, and sulfur. A third of mankind was killed by the three plagues of fire, smoke, and sulfur that came out of their mouths. The power of the horses was, uh, horses was in their mouths and in their tails, for their tails were like snakes having heads with which, uh, which they inflict injury. So some people believe that this is the Chinese army. You know, because they have a 200 million man army. I, I don't think so. But some think that these horses and riders are modern weapon systems. Again, I think this is probably just a demonic army. Again, it's just, it's just out there like this, but they're not. It's just absolutely crazy. With their ability to inflict incredible injury. And notice how people died. The power was in their tails and mouths. A third was killed by the plagues of fire and of smoke and of sulfur that came out of their mouths. And so there's a massive loss of life on earth. There's great panic, great fear. 
horrible things are happening. What would you do if you were amongst all this? Yet, verse 20, the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands. They did not stop worshiping demons and idols of gold, silver, bronze, stone, and wood. Idols that cannot see or hear or walk. Verse 21, nor did they repent, sorry, nor did they repent of their murders, their magic arts, their sexual immorality, or their thefts. Why wouldn't they repent? You know, that's the question. We look at Israel and go, oh, you silly Israelites, why don't you repent? You know, just taking the last four of those things we talked about. Murders, magic arts, sexual immorality, and thefts. You know, murders. We subsidize, we subsidize murders prior to birth. You know, women and men, they celebrate this as a right and as an essential part of women's health. Even pagan cultures made, you know, often made abortion illegal. It's horrible. Would not repent of this stuff. There's just a lack of sensitivity to life. I mean, think of just the murders that happen in our culture day and night. Sorcery or magic arts. This is the word pharmake in the Greek, use of drugs. Our nation is hooked on drugs, legal and illegal. There's a big difference between taking medication to make you well and taking medication to medicate. I have fibromyalgia. Taking medication to help me. It helps sometimes, sometimes it doesn't. But there's a big difference. How easy our hearts are swayed to go beyond what it should, you know? It's tearing us apart. I'm just talking about the legal pharmaceutical side of it. It's killing our nation. I mean, you read about Whitney Houston, Michael Jackson, and all these people. You know, it's not no longer popular to use street drugs, so they just go to the legal deal. But it's always about the heart. Why do we do what we do? I praise God that I have glasses. <laughs> you know? People had to suffer not seeing. Looking at all you guys like your footballs, you know? <laughs> but, you know, praise God. I can see you now. Some people have mental issues, and the Lord is helping through medication. I think it's great. I'm not against that. But there is a big difference between taking medication to, to make you well and to, you know, medicate to medicate. You know, the fruit of the Spirit is self-control. The Lord wants us to have self-control. Does your medication have control over you, or do you have control over your medication? That's a difficult thing. Your heart, you know? Now, some of us, you know, some, some of us need to be on medication. <laughs> But you know if the Holy Spirit's been speaking to you on that issue. You know? The Lord loves you. You know, for those of you who've been messing around with illegal drugs. I, you know, I'm just saying these, these terms because that's, that's what our culture understands. The Bible doesn't put them into legal and illegal. It's always a matter of the heart. You know, just because it's on earth doesn't make it good. I could eat rocks. Oh, man, it's natural. <laughs> what are you doing? Why should God say it's okay? You're filling your life. The bottom. This is the bottom line. Are we filling our lives with a substitute? You know, the enemy wants to come into our lives, and I struggle with this day and night. He wants to fill us with a substitute for the real thing. Scriptures say, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Don't be high with pot, but be high with the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't medicate your life away. Be filled with Jesus Christ. Yeah, 
take a pill if, you're, if, if you need to take these things. God's given us doctors and all this type of stuff, but don't fool yourself. Are you substituting the, the fullness of the Holy Spirit for something else? And believe me, you can get real legal real quick on this, but the enemy's constantly trying to do that. With relationships, he's trying to place substitutes in there. I mean, you go to the next issue, sexual immorality. Pornography is rampant in our country. What is it, $10 billion a year, $14 billion a year? You know, some people say that's more on, we spend more on that than we do on sport, all the sporting events combined. It's not just men, it's women too. They would not repent. But what's the problem with it? God wants you to love your wife. God has, wants you to experience all the goodness of, of sex between you and your wife. Not pretend. That's what it's for. That's the best that God has for you. Because it's not just phileo. It's not just a physical love or eros. It is agape. You love them. And it's the expression of that deep love you have for one another. Growing together, laughing about things, all this type of stuff. I'm talking to you as adults because you are. Don't. If, if, you're, if you're looking at pornography, repent. You're being, you're being lied to. You're being seduced. And the end is death. These people would not repent. Even though these horrible things were happening in their lives, they continued. Fornication. You know, you don't sleep with one another before you're married. God, why? Because God said not to. I don't need to explain it. Go to him. He has the design for it. Because he knows what's best for you. It's not to keep you for something good. It's to save you for something good. The Lord loves you. That's what he wants for you. How many of you, you know, who've been with people before you're married regret it? Talk to married people. Talk about the dialogues you have to have with one another you wish you never had to have. Pain that's there. But if you never knew another, how sweet is that? Virginity is mocked in this culture. Purity is mocked in this culture. We need to stand up. In our own lives, in our kids' lives, you don't have filters on your computers, get them on your computers, phones, whatever it takes. It's always dealing with the heart, though. You know, the last one, thefts. People steal stuff all the time. Just think about, just corporately, institutionally in America, how much theft has gone on, let alone individually. In this county, I was pulling up statistics on this. We're doing better this year, by the way. You know, in 2009, larceny and theft, only 1,065. Robbery, only 16. Right? So we're doing great there. 2012, the projection, I don't know how they got the projection already, but here we go. It's going to be down. Only 963. You know, and motor vehicle theft, 54. It's like, that's not even the ones that are, those are the only ones that are caught, you know, or reported. And how deep is our darkness? And theft is, is a violation of God saying, you know, you're responsible to me for what I've given you. Don't covet what your neighbor has. I've given you what I've given you. Theft is covetousness. It's against the Lord. Looking at what they have and say, I'm going to take it from you because I have a need. Nor do they repent of their murders, their magic arts, their sexual morality, or their thefts. You know, Lord, help us. So, again, when we deal with these things, just let the Holy Spirit refresh us and and, and wake us up to the reality of holiness. Holiness isn't bad. It's not legalism. It's being set apart to the Lord. Are we 
a part of this world? Yes. But are we of this world? No. Why are you hanging out with sinners and tax collectors, Jesus? You're supposed to be Amish, right? Or No, because it's the sick who need a doctor. Who are we supposed to be engaging with? The sick. But are we supposed to be engaging in what the sick are doing? If so, then who's the sick? We are. And that leads to the problem of, are people coming to Jesus? And why not? He loves us. Loves us so much to tell us how it is. He's speaking to my heart too, totally right off the bat, amen? So, let's pray. Lord God, we ask that we would be holy and pure before you. Thank you for your word that cuts through the marrow, that cuts through the, the muscles, straight to the joint, and can separate things. You can separate the intents and the thoughts of our hearts. And Lord, we need that. For those of us who are, you're, you're speaking to our hearts to let things go to trust you in an area, I ask that you would give us the strength to move forward. For those of us who need to repent in certain areas, God, will you please let them know that your grace is just surrounding. Your forgiveness is right here. And that there is a true, that the substitute that they're having in their heart, Lord, it's not what you have for them, but you have something more, more fulfilling that is actually customized for them. Lord, deepen your relationship with your, with your sons and your daughters. Call us out of this world that we would be able to shine truly for you, Lord. Bless us today. Pour out your spirit. In the name of Jesus, amen.